Today on Inside Politics, it's now just a lady and a fella. That's how Nikki Haley describes being the only candidate left standing between Donald Trump and the Republican nomination with just one day left to reach voters here in New Hampshire before the primary that could jumpstart her campaign or effectively end it. Plus, abortion on the ballot. Kamala Harris is hitting the trail today saying just that, using the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade to remind voters of what Trump helped take away and how voters' choices in November could impact the future of abortion rights in America. And Judge Judy's 2024 verdict. She's putting her support behind Nikki Haley and weighing in on the former president's multiple legal battles. I sat down with her here in New Hampshire. You're going to see that coming up. I'm Dana Bash, live from New Hampshire. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. And we start right here in the Granite State, the center of the political universe, where we are just hours away from the first voters heading to the polls. Ron DeSantis ended his much ballyhooed campaign that went from juggernaut to afterthought in a stunningly short amount of time. And along with that announcement yesterday, he also became the latest former rival to endorse Donald Trump. Nikki Haley is down by double digits in the latest CNN poll. She'll need to do better than that to prove she still has a place in this race. Meanwhile, the former president is hoping a commanding win here in the Granite State could wrap things up for him. We have a team of reporters on the ground here in New Hampshire, and I want to start with CNN's Kristen Holmes, who is live in Amherst following uh, the Trump campaign. We'll get to Kylie Atwood with the Haley campaign in Concord in a moment. Actually, I'm going to start with you, Kylie. Go ahead. Yeah, so we're here. It's Nikki Haley's second campaign event of the day. This is her first full day on the campaign trail in New Hampshire as it's turned into that one-on-one -on -one race between her and former President Trump. New Hampshire is obviously fertile ground for Nikki Haley, particularly because independents can partake in that primary tomorrow. So the question is, can she do well enough here to be competitive with the former president? Now, with Ron DeSantis dropping out, her team feels like she could get some of the supporters from folks who are planning to vote for DeSantis. Of course, there are questions about how uh, assured that would actually be, given that DeSantis has already endorsed Trump. And Haley, for her part, is already making her pitch to voters here in the Granite State. She is, of course, reminding them that she is the next generational leader. We've seen her in recent days also ramp up her attacks on former President Trump, going after his mental fitness specifically. And just earlier this morning, she has done this time and time again. She's defending herself against the attack ads that Trump is putting on TV here in New Hampshire. Listen to what she said. Every single thing that Donald Trump has said or put on TV has been a lie. He says, I want to cut Social Security and raise the retirement age. I never once said that. Not once. If anything, we're going to make it solvent so that no one lives in fear. He said that I don't want to have a border wall. I never said that. I said, you can't just do a border wall. You got to do all these other things that are going to stop the, what's happening at the border. 
Now, she was also asked earlier today in an interview with Fox if she's going after the former president too late. She defended her strategy, saying from the beginning, there were multiple candidates in the race. She had to get all of them out of the race. Her job wasn't to go after former President Trump right out of the gate. She called this a marathon, not a sprint. Her campaign is saying that they are looking ahead to South Carolina after New Hampshire. But of course, the stakes are incredibly high for her here in the Granite State because even her supporters say that she really needs to do well to show that she is competitive with former President Trump. Dana. Kylie, thank you so much for that great reporting. Let's now go to Kristen. Donald Trump was planning to hit his most familiar campaign stop today, a courthouse, but his plans changed. Uh, Kristen, tell us what's going on. Yeah, so he was supposed to be in court. There was a lot of speculation as to whether or not he would testify. A judge actually adjourned court because a juror was sick. And then it seemed to be a back and forth between Donald Trump's lawyer and the judge. Uh, essentially, the judge saying they could still go through with this. But instead, uh, the Trump's lawyer saying, no, we would like court to be adjourned. Now, of course, as you said, that's his favorite campaign stop. But he has another campaign stop tonight at 9 p.m. in Laconia. He'll be giving a speech. And I have just learned from a senior advisor. He's going to be joined by Senator Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, as well as Governor Doug Burgum. This is notable because as we talk about Ron DeSantis dropping out of the race, there's this question of what does this really mean for Donald Trump in terms of votes? Well, they don't really think it's going to move the needle that much because Ron DeSantis didn't have a ground game here in New Hampshire. They always viewed this race as a one-on-one -on -one race with Nikki Haley. Now, with this endorsement, it's giving Donald Trump and his team the opportunity to essentially say that Nikki Haley should drop out because the Republican Party is coming together around Donald Trump. And this is an example of that, bringing together people who were formerly his opponents, now are people who have endorsed him and saying, look, all of these people who I attacked, who we went you know, up against, now they're backing me. It is time for the Republican Party to come together, put all this nonsense away and make me the nominee. Obviously, as you heard Kylie say there, you know, Haley's team saying this is a marathon, not a race. But when I talk to Trump's advisors, they really do believe that this right now is a race. If they can do well, if they can win this by a definitive margin, seeing those double digits, then they believe they've got this wrapped up. But if not, they don't know what happens next. They're looking ahead to Nevada and, of course, South Carolina. But they do want him to win by a big margin here. Yes, they do. And the magic of technology, uh, Kristen, as you were sp speaking, I got a text from somebody with Tim Scott's uh, office, his campaign, former campaign, I should say, saying that not only is he going to be, as you first reported, with Donald Trump tonight, along with some others, he's going to stay here in New Hampshire and campaign for Trump through Election Day, meet with voters, and they hope celebrate a victory here with him tomorrow night. So there you go. Kristen, thank you so much for that. And I spoke with Nikki Haley just moments after Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race. I asked her about her strategy to lump Joe Biden and Donald Trump together. Do you believe that they are equally bad for America? If it's not even what I believe. It's what Americans believe. Well, what do you believe? Because you're the one who's saying that. I worry about the fact that they are so focused on investigations and things that they don't like and focused on the past. When do you ever hear either one of them 
talk about the solutions of the future. I'm doing this because I don't want my kids to live like this. We have got to start looking forward. You've got a country in disarray. You've got a world on fire. And you're going to focus on people who hurt your feelings. You're going to focus on investigations that are involved with your families. You're going to focus on vengeance. With me, it's no drama. It's no vendettas. It's just hard work. And it's making sure we're not thinking four and eight years. We're thinking 20 and 30 years out. You don't want to go there on whether or not they're equally bad? I mean, if they were, if either one of them was good, I wouldn't be running. Yes, they are equally bad. That's why I'm running. To discuss that and much, much more here in New Hampshire, my panel of great reporters is Ted Herndon of the New York Times, the Boston Globe's Jackie Kucinich, and CNN's Jeff Zeleny. Can you all see what he has here? He has a yellow pad, which is like my favorite thing when you do this, because <laughs> you actually have your reporter's notebook, so spill it. What should we know? Well, look, I mean, for all of uh, Haley's claim that this is a marathon, not a sprint, it's kind of a sprint now. I mean, the reality is this is just hours away from deciding. The New Hampshire voters will decide how long this campaign goes. Uh, this has happened very quickly. In some respects, you know, we've all been um, watching this race get smaller and smaller. But I cannot recall a time from Iowa to New Hampshire where things have changed so much. And it is a one-on-one -on -one, uh, race. There's no doubt about that. But it seems like about uh, five-on-one, as Kristen was reporting, and you were saying that there were so many of the rivals coming uh, to Donald Trump's rally tonight. So the bottom line to all this is, are there enough undeclared voters with uh, a slice of Republicans to deliver a victory or a, a narrow second place for Nikki Haley? If so, the race is likely to go on. If not, uh, New Hampshire may um, very well put an exclamation point on this. But, you know, we've all seen New Hampshire surprises over the years, so let's enjoy the final 24, 36 hours of voting and see. Yeah, and let the voters decide. I, I, wanna, I want you to weigh in on that, but I also want to note who is not in the list of former rivals that Kristen was reporting on who's coming. Ron DeSantis. Uh, you know, he probably needs a minute. He just came, uh, got out of the race yesterday. But on that note, it is really fascinating to watch the way Donald Trump, no matter how ugly things can get, and things got very, very ugly between him and DeSantis. Um, as soon as that person endorses him, he changes his tune. Let's listen to what the former president said. I'd like to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis, he ran a, a really good campaign, I will tell you. It's not easy. They think it's easy doing this stuff, right? It's not easy. But as you know, he left the campaign trail today at 3 p.m., and in so doing, he was very gracious, and he endorsed me. So this is where uh, the race stands right now. If you take DeSantis out of the poll that we released uh, yesterday morning, Donald Trump is at 54 percent. Nikki Haley is at 41 percent. And when you look at the GOP primary voters specifically, Trump, uh, excuse me, beforehand, DeSantis was at 8 percent. So you can see she actually, according to this, would get some of his vote. But when Donald Trump has such a big lead, Will it matter? So I think it, it, it's you mentioned voters obviously having a say here. I think the other folks that have a say are the donors. Nikki Haley will stay in this race and candidates usually don't, you know, just quit. They usually run out of money. And so if her donors decide to, that they want her to stay in the fight and try to push her to stay in the fight, I guess we probably will have a fight through South Carolina at least. But it, I think the margins here do matter very much in terms of, you know, how close can she get? And in terms of DeSantis, I mean, the reason that he endorsed Trump is because he wants a future in the party, right? I mean, if he didn't, 
that's kind of a dead end, particularly somewhere like Florida, where the president, is, the former president, is quite popular. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, she has, we believe, she's got a, a good amount of money in her coffers. That was not the case for Ron DeSantis. We'll talk more about that later in the show. I asked her yesterday when I caught up with her uh, in Seabrook whether or not she's pledging to her fellow South Carolinians that she will stay in this race no matter what happens here on the ground in New Hampshire until they get to vote. She said yes. I mean, I think that's going to be the big question. I think it speaks to the margin point, and I think the donor one's an important point, too, because unlike DeSantis, she's not more reliant on those small-dollar donors. She has a backing, thinking of Americans for Prosperity, to kind of get her there. But there is also the looming complication that South Carolina could be an embarrassing place for her, too. There is the, there is the recognition of that as a home state, but that's a state that's conservative base has really shifted to become more Trump-like over the last 10 years. I mean, uh, uh, I think the Trump campaign will take a one-on-one -on -one matchup with Nikki Haley. And, and when we get to South Carolina. But the, but I think if she comes in single digits or closer to 10 percent here, there will be an incentive to keep going. Because remember, the challengers here are also thinking about Donald Trump's legal complications. Mm -hmm. Also, there is a somewhat of a feeling that maybe if he is convicted or in federal court uh, for most of the time, then that should there should be a person kind of waiting in the wings and alternative. The problem is the voters haven't wanted that. Part of the reason he has been able to ascend is because they've rallied around him, particularly because of those legal cases. So it gives them a candidate like Haley an incentive to stay in longer, closer to the convention. But I do think the pressure from the party, think of someone like South Carolina's Nancy Mace endorsing Trump today, mm -hmm. the pressure of the party rallying around him will become more and more intense and really isolate her if that margin is big in New Hampshire. Let's listen to some of what is happening right now in these closing hours on the campaign trail between the two remaining candidates. Let's first listen to what Donald Trump is saying about Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has made an unholy alliance with rhinos, never Trumpers. The people behind Nikki are pro-amnesty. You like that? Pro-China, pro-open borders, pro-war, pro-deep state, and they're pro-Biden. And now let's listen to what Nikki Haley has, saying, it has been saying about uh, Donald Trump, particularly after he, on Friday night, many, many times confused her with Nancy Pelosi and his riff. Do we really want to have two presidential candidates in their 80s? Trump goes on and on multiple times saying that I prevented the security on January 6th at the Capitol. I wasn't even anywhere near the Capitol. He was confused the same way that he said he ran against President Obama. It was Hillary Clinton. These things happen because the more you age, it just does, you're, you have declined. I've been hearing that from a lot of voters here. Now, the question is whether I'm hearing it from voters because that's what they're hearing from voters and the Haley campaign, which is why she's saying it more, or they're hearing it from her which is why it's sinking in. You know, you never really know in these closing days. For sure. I mean, there is a bit of an echo chamber, yeah. but she's right in one respect. I mean, I've been at several Donald Trump rallies now. Compare them to 2016. It is an entirely different thing. We talk a lot about did Joe Biden's age, President Biden's age and fitness. Well, the same obviously can be said for Donald Trump. She's only now mentioning it. The, the Nancy Pelosi thing was the latest example, but uh, it's been happening for quite some time. He does not seem to have the same fastball he had. Does it matter to his voters? Probably not. But to other voters going ahead, it might. So uh, I'm not sure in the final days now it's the um, she's making the argument 
Uh, not sure she'll change many minds. But I think one thing that's striking to what Estead was saying earlier, she's long talked about South Carolina being a feather in her cap. That is one of the, uh, you know, sort of pluses she has. It may actually be a minus. If she didn't have a home state embarrassment factor to worry about, would she stay in longer? Is this something that's actually going to uh, make her get out first? We will see what the margin is. And this is what Jackie was saying, the donors are saying. But she is the last best person standing. It's a delegate race. She'll get some delegates. And going into Super Tuesday is actually a decent uh, date for her because a lot of the primaries, almost a dozen, are open. Uh, Independents can vote. So uh, they're hoping for a tight margin. A win here would obviously uh, change the conversation. They're not necessarily expecting that. They're just hoping for a tight margin. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. Isn't it, it must be nice for, like, three reporters to say, wow, that is such a good point, because <laughs> it was. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more up next, Donald Trump. Really, is he really going to testify in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case? His lawyer says he wants to take the stand on Wednesday. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Donald Trump was back in court this morning briefly. The E. Jean Carroll defamation case quickly adjourned because of a sick juror. Trump was already found liable for sexual abuse in that case. Now it's all about how much in damages he owes Carol. And today, his lawyer told the judge that Trump intends to testify, ideally on Wednesday, just hours after the primary here in New Hampshire. It's the most recent example of Donald Trump's legal and political calendar coming to a head. My panel is back with me. So that's happening or not happening or almost happening in New York. Meanwhile, here we're hearing I just played a little bit of what Trump is saying about Nikki Haley. His other main argument, oddly, as he closes out here in New Hampshire, is about the fact that he should have immunity in court, as should all presidents. Take a listen. You have to have a guaranteed immunity for a president. Otherwise, a president's not going to be able to function. They're not going to move. Harry Truman would not have done Harry Truman would not have done Hiroshima, Nagasaki. You know, you have to allow a president to do his job. They'll make decisions. 
Dad, what are you hearing from voters about how much that's selling or whether it matters if they just sort of say, oh, that's just Trump. Yeah, I think that's more of the latter. They just play it off as Trump being Trump. I think it's another example of the blend between the political and legal that we have seen over the last six months. Trump doesn't care if the voters care about it. It's on his mind. And that's the reason he is kind of saying it at these type of rallies. But I also think it, it, it meshes with the overall picture of presidential power he's trying to paint for 2025. This is someone who has been working with kind of lawyers and conservative thinkers to think about how they would get around Congress in, in a second term, to think about how he would kind of make his policy positions come to fruition without going through traditional legislative measures, how to weaponize the GOJ, how to weaponize the courts. This is part of the explicit promise of what Trump is, uh, is telling voters going ahead to next year. And so maybe it's not the presidential immunity argument that we hear from, we hear from voters, but I do hear Trump supporters saying they want him to finish the job and they don't really care how that job is finished. Now, I will say that you just look at our polls. This isn't certainly everybody who voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Otherwise, he wouldn't be ahead in the polls now. But I have met, just in being here, back here over the last 24 hours, several New Hampshire voters who did vote for Trump in 2016 and are now not because of chaos like this. I want you to listen to one Daniel Casperson. I voted for Trump the very first election. Yes, I did. In 2016? In 2016. And Why not now? Why not now? Because I feel that I'm not going to tell you what I really feel, um, but I think that he's not very not very honest person, um, and, he, and I think that he uh, did a real disservice to our country on January 6th. And was that when you lost faith in him? No, I'd lost faith in him a long time before that. Jackie? That's exactly who Nikki Haley needs to come out for her. That voter, voters who um, maybe voted for Trump and then voted for Biden, um, those voters who you know really want to vote for a Republican again, but they're not going to vote for Trump. Those persuadable voters are exactly who you know she needs, whether they're you know undecided voters or whether they're Republicans who are just, as she says, like over the drama. Um, it, it's the same voters that DeSantis targeted, frankly, and Chris Christie in a lot of ways. He was much more aggressive about criticizing Trump than Haley and DeSantis, but that's the same pool of convincible voters that any challenger to the former president is going to need to pull to defeat him in a state like New Hampshire. And Jeff, the issues that are driving the voters here. Uh, we saw in our poll that was, was released yesterday morning, not a surprise given what we've seen this entire election season on the GOP side, immigration is number one. I want you to listen to Jamie Lowell. I met him uh, in, at a Haley event and he was there to try to figure out if he was going to support her. Listen to what he said about this issue. Border is your number one issue? Probably, yeah. I can, control them. I can control the rest of the things myself, hard work and savings, but one thing I can't control is the border and who's coming across it. So if she says she's going to claim the, close the border, and you know, then uh, and that's the one thing I can't control, so let's do it. Isn't that interesting? That's the one thing I can't control. Absolutely. And you talk to voters, certainly the Republican, registered Republican voters believe that. It's why Donald Trump has been running so many ads against Nikki Haley, trying to uh, portray her as soft on illegal immigration. She has pushed back on that. Uh, but the undeclared voters uh, aren't speaking about immigration as much, at least in my experience here over the last week. The economy is still a central concern and just concerns about the, um, the abilities of the Biden administration. But there's no doubt immigration is a real issue. It is a crisis. Uh, there's no question. 
but it is more so if you get your news only from sort of one area, and that is what is uh, the drumbeat here. Um, I'm surprised that Trump doesn't talk about it more, actually. He probably doesn't have to. He talks about it a couple times. He spends more time talking about his own immunity and things. I hear zero voters talking about that. I think it just kind of uh, glosses over in their mind. But it just speaks to the victimhood uh, that he talks about a lot. A lot of entertainment value at from his perspective and the perspective of his uh, supporters who come to that rallies, uh, those rallies I've noticed in, sure. in the recent uh, ones I've visited. Thank you, guys. Don't go anywhere. Today marks 51 years since the Supreme Court's landmark Roe v. Wade decision. How the Biden administration is now putting that now defunct law of the land and reproductive rights front and center in their re-election campaign. Stay with us. 51 years ago today, abortion became a constitutional right. The Biden campaign is using the anniversary of the landmark Roe v. Wade decision to focus on the consequences of the 2022 Dobbs decision that overturned Roe and what the 2024 race means for the future of abortion rights in America. Moments from now, Vice President Kamala Harris will kick off a nationwide reproductive freedom tour in Wisconsin. CNN's Priscilla Alvarez joins us from Waukesha, Wisconsin, where Harris is about to speak. What do we expect, Priscilla? Well, Dana, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris is expected to take direct aim at former President Donald Trump, laying the groundwork for what will be the central Democratic message in the 2024 campaign. And it's notable that it's the vice president that is kicking this off. She has been a leading voice on this issue and is expected to play a central role in 2024. Now, her argument is coming here to battleground Wisconsin. This is a state that Biden eked out a win over Trump in 2020 and also a typically red suburb here in Wisconsin. And her argument is going to be that former President Donald Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices, conservative Supreme Court justices, and that is what led to the overturning of Roe. She's also going to speak about the harm and confusion that has occurred since the Dobbs decision, pulling on uh, specific examples of what that's looked like, particularly here in Wisconsin, where those pro uh, or the Roe bans uh, had, were invoked after that was overturned. And she's also going to be uh, talking about an ad that was released by the campaign this week. Two years ago, I became pregnant with a baby I desperately wanted. At a routine ultrasound, I learned that the fetus would have a fatal condition and that there was absolutely no chance of survival. In Texas, you are forced to carry that pregnancy, and that is because of Donald Trump overturning Roe v. Wade. All of this part of a broader rollout that's going to include a campaign appearance tomorrow with the vice president and the president on abortion. Priscilla, joining me from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Get used to Wisconsin. You're going to be there a lot. We all are. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And up next, she's known for speaking her mind, the one and only Judge Judy. I had the chance to speak with her yesterday right here in New Hampshire, where she is campaigning for Nikki Haley. Is it part of why you are supporting her because she's a woman? No, I would support her if she were a frog. <laughs> she's capable. She's capable. She's poised. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Yellow. We're the creators and showrunners. 
Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. America's favorite TV judge, Judge Judy Scheindlin, delivered her final verdict in the race for the White House ahead of New Hampshire's make-or-break primary. She is not a very political figure. She says she's only publicly endorsed one presidential candidate ever, and that was Michael Bloomberg in 2020. I caught up with her here and asked, why Nikki Haley? I met Nikki Haley about a year ago because I was impressed with her four years ago. And when she decided to dip her toe in the water, I said, it's someone who I could embrace, but I first have to meet her. So we spent some time together. And I was impressed enough with what I heard and her history to travel 1,700 miles tonight to convince whoever I can in the state of New Hampshire that... Donald Trump should not be president again, and that Joe Biden should not be president again. And Nikki Haley is a chance for America to redeem its rightful place in the world. That's the reason. That's an honest, long-winded reason. I read that you said neither Biden nor Trump would know a Houthi from a salami. From a salami. Well, I said that they wouldn't know a hootie from a salami unless someone whispered in their ear, that would be to Donald, or put it on a teleprompter, which would be President Biden. I don't think that either of those two men have the intellectual gravitas to govern this great country. I'm not a Trump basher. I lived in New York City for many years. He got woman's rink up and running, and my mother loved ice skating. But even Donald knew years ago that he wasn't going to be president. Even he didn't think he was going to be president. It was a lock. It was a lock. And then he was. And without getting into all of the controversy as to why, he did a couple of things that I agree with when he was president. But chaos follows him. And right now he's embroiled in legal, financial, personal, civil, criminal actions. You need someone who is totally focused on being president of the United States. I never saw greatness, and neither did anyone else, in the then 50 years that Joe Biden was in public office. He was an ordinary guy. He tried president twice and backed out. There was a reason for that. I don't know how it comes about. For the same crazy way it came about that Donald Trump was president for four years, that was the same finessing that gave us Joe Biden. Neither one of those two men should be president for another four years. Joe Biden is now older. I'm not getting, going to get into with you what everybody talks about with regard to his cognitive ability, but I know he's my age. I run a big, and I said in my art, I run a big business. I'm the matriarch of a family of 20 plus. I make decisions that affect hundreds of people every day. 
I need a nap in the afternoon. So does Joe Biden, probably too. Nikki Haley is better. She's young, she's vital, she's focused. She has the intellectual capacity, she's measured, she doesn't get ruffled by bullies. She knows how to stand there, stand her ground, respond respectfully. I mean, if you listen to her at the United Nations, she commanded respect. Well, that's what I'm looking for in a president, again, someone who commands respect. I believe she has that. I know Donald does not. And I know that Joe Biden does not. I believe she does. That's why I traveled 1,700 miles here. One last question. Nikki Haley, is it part of why you are supporting her because she's a woman? No, I would support her if she were a frog. <laughs> she's capable. She's capable. She's poised. Men can be capable, poised, direct, honest. I don't think she's... I, I don't think she's any of the negatives that I see in her, the opposition right now. I certainly don't think that she's a bully. I certainly don't think that chaos follows her. I certainly don't think that she's unfocused because of everything else that's going on in her life. And I know that she is cognitively stable. So the fact that she's a woman, great. But I would vote for her if she were a goat. And now to a text message that may or may not have been sent. I spoke to Senator Tim Scott yesterday about endorsing Donald Trump instead of his fellow South Carolinian, the woman who put him in the Senate, Nikki Haley. Did you call her beforehand, give her a heads up? Have you talked to her since? We had texted several times since I got out the race. So we've had a conversation at least once. We've had multiple texts back and forth. So just to be clear, you texted after you got out of the race, but you didn't give her a heads up before you endorsed her opponent? Actually, I texted her the day before okay. I made my announcement. A few hours later, I was here in New Hampshire and saw Nikki Haley. Here's what she said about that alleged text. That's not true. He didn't call. He didn't text. He didn't tell me that he was going to do this. I texted him and said, look, I want to sit down and talk because we had only um, spoken once since then. I said, I'd love to sit down and talk about endorsement. And he said, I'm getting with my team to figure that out. And I never heard anything else again until his endorsement. Did he when he told me he texted he the day before, did he text somebody on your team? No. In response to that, an aide to uh, Tim Scott told me that the senator texted Nikki Haley on Thursday, the day before he uh, endorsed Donald Trump, to let her know he'd be making a decision soon. And there's that. Coming up, it started with so much hype, landed with a thud. We're talking about Ron DeSantis's campaign, and we will dive into what went so wrong. After days of staffers pushing back on rumors of an early exit, Ron DeSantis dropped out in a Sunday surprise. In new terrific reporting out today from CNN's Steve Contorno, 
Jessica Dean and Kit Marr, campaign insiders, had this, among other things, to say. What he didn't have was room for error running up against a popular former president, and the DeSantis campaign made many of them. His advisors, allies, and supporters have acknowledged to CNN in interviews, quote, every single thing that could have could have not gone as we had hoped or planned for went horribly wrong. That is according to one close advisor. I'm going to bring my panel back to talk about this. Um, first of all, I encourage everybody to check out that reporting on CNN.com. It's really, really good. Let's just go to the not-so-way-back machine of last week. And this headline uh, in Politico was an op-ed written by Alex Castellanos and Kurt Anderson, two Republican operatives. The DeSantis team ran the worst campaign in history. I mean, that is super duper harsh. Uh, but, Jeff? Look, I mean, this campaign will be studied for a long time for the things that they tried to do. They tried to revolutionize this campaign by effectively outsourcing everything to a super PAC. That turned out to be uh, not a good idea. But at the end of the day, all of this is the issue of the candidate. The candidate himself came into this race so confident because he had just won a huge reelection in Florida. And running for president is very, very different, and it's very, very difficult. So I'm thinking of one moment in my mind that really crystallized how dysfunctional this all was. It was a parking lot just north of the Quad Cities in Iowa last month. The DeSantis campaign bus was parked there. The Never Back Down Super PAC bus was parked there. It just led to the idea of confusion among voters, who was running what. Uh, what was wow. going on, and at the end of the day, there was a collision between this, but he didn't bring it. His ground game didn't work, but this is all on him. He became a much better candidate, actually, as we saw in town halls and other things, but I just wonder, if he had done all of the events, if he had talked to people, taken questions from voters at the beginning, would this have ended differently? Perhaps not, but it's on him. Good. No, I was going to say, he also had, in addition to, you know, everything you just named, he also had former President Trump deluging him okay. with negativity. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm sorry, I will you, let you. No, because you were, were, were mind-melding here, Jackie, <laughs> because that's exactly what I was going to play. Let's play an example of what President Trump and his allies did before Ron DeSantis even got into the race. Ron DeSantis was struggling big time in his primary race for governor of Florida. Polls revealed DeSantis was failing so bad, he was losing by a staggering 17 points. Then DeSantis was saved by the endorsement of President Trump. Trump's support was so powerful, just two days after the endorsement, DeSantis took a commanding lead. So completely pummeled him, didn't, didn't stop doing that. I talked to uh, Governor DeSantis the morning of the Iowa caucuses that I think that was just last week, right? Okay, <laughs> just last week and asked about whether or not he regrets getting into the race as late as he did, given the attacks he was getting from the former president. Here's the thing. I made promises to the voters in 22. I had to deliver on those. I mean, the idea, I mean, yes, I could have just turned around and launched a campaign, but I had to do what I said. And so I can now say I've delivered on 100% of my promises. I got elected to be able to do those things, not to just run for another office. So I don't think there's any way you could have done it any different and been, been I couldn't have been true to myself. That was a long interruption, but I just wanted to help make your no, point. No, no, but, 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 it's, but, but it's shown right there, not to mention, just it was day after day after day, and then married with the unforced errors by the DeSantis team. I mean, let's remember, his launch was a total disaster on the 
social network formerly known as Twitter, where it was glitchy, you couldn't hear him, and yeah. it just opened the door to all sorts of other problems that they just couldn't get out of their own way, and they were getting all of this income in. And it said, 30 seconds. He didn't connect with voters yeah. uh, in a natural way that most candidates did. He did get better, but not at first. Absolutely. And I think that's the core problem to me. His campaign only went one direction from the moment it announced till now. And that is really, to me, a core candidate problem. Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis came into this campaign working from his own premise. He didn't just want to win. He wanted to win his way with his message. That is a level of confidence, somewhat haughtiness. I think it's really uh, uh, indicative of a first-time candidate that staked it all. His brand kind of won this race. And I think he's receiving the blowback because of that. He didn't want to just be the nominee. He had to kind of revolutionize the party to Jeff's point, and that's a tall task. Thank you all. Great discussion. Appreciate it. And thanks for joining Inside Politics. Thanks to Marianne's Diner, where we are right here in Amherst, New Hampshire, for hosting us today. CNN News Central starts after the break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.